Hi, I'm Mike Douglas with Advancing Vibrant Communities and the Into the Night with Pastor Mike Podcasting Network. The effects of COVID-19 are staggering, way beyond just the medical realities of the virus itself. America's economy is suffering. America's school children are uneasy about the future of school in the fall. News headlines accentuate the negative as social media clicks translate to income sources. And government itself at all levels appears not to be totally sure about the virus itself, much less how to develop public policy to deal with it. All that said, a lot of people are anxious, many are fearful, and it appears a growing population is flat-out frustrated with it all. Do you relate to some of that? (laughs) I do. Well, if we're to plow through this and enter into an attitude of resiliency and of dogged determination to persevere through the COVID-19 challenge, we must have some sense of emotional and physical health ourselves as we begin that journey. Uh, Tonight, we'll look at ways to approach all of that and more with a well-known, sage, wise, and experienced counselor, therapist, pastor, and pastor-to-pastors, Dr. Michael Wright from Turlock, California. Dr. Michael Wright, welcome. As we look at the effects, uh, I call it sometimes the splat of COVID-19 and and a lot of the civil unrest, a lot of people are living in fear and anxiety with with a lot of angst. I hear it from extended family. I hear it from uh, people within our congregations. I hear it from people we're we're serving. What do you see as far as that that fear, uh, the angst? What do you see out there? And most importantly, once you identify it, how can we help people through that? Well, Michael, thank you for this opportunity to share with you and your listening audience. Our commie, you can never, he said that pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. And what he's talking about is how do we handle things like what's going on with COVID-19? And a a part of it has to do is is that we are in this significant period of adjustment without predictability or certainty. There are no markers, for example. Um, You're going to have some 3,700, uh, 3,700,000 high school students graduating without any markers. You got 4 million collegians from associate degree, bachelor's degree, and advanced degrees. They're not going to have any kind of markers. So uh, this, there's this loss, this kind of at current, at, at sea that we're in. And our brain is made, Michael, for predictability it 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 it, it's an organ that needs certainty and so when that that is not happening add to that we don't know how permanent it's going to be we don't know how long this is going to go on and 
if it's, if it's what's going to happen on the other end. What is normalcy, like, you know, you've, you've talked about before. So what does that, all that mean? Is, so with all of that, with living in that, that sea of, of uncertainty, and you can't see any landmarks, there's no compass. There's no star to guide us. So what's going to happen is that people are going to be very fearful. And that's, that's a, it, but it's constant. There, there's no release from it. So when you have the markers at the beginning of your life, like, in, uh, like with high school or even, like even birth. I mean, sometimes the father is the only one that can be there. At the very end, funerals, what are they doing? You don't have that normal American experience. So the traditional moorings, and I'm, I'm into appropriate tradition because they give us anchors. So here you don't have any anchors. You don't have any landmarks. No star to guide us. So that, that uncertainty really creates in us a, a fearfulness. As strange as it sounds, that's very appropriate, by the way. You know, my, Michael, when you describe that, what, what comes to my mind are two images. Uh, one is to be, you know, we've all walked, we've come home at night and the lights aren't on in, in a room that we're going into. And if we go into that room and we don't turn on the light, uh, it, it's very tenuous. We bump into things, it, it, we, we, we get anxious. The other image I have is being at sea where there's no moon, no stars, just a black sky, and you have you, you're being pulled by a current, but you don't know where you're going. Is, right. Oh, yeah. Is that kind of like what we're talking about here? No, no, no rudder, no anchor, and nothing to move us along. So we're in that 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 current of 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 dread. And the, the thing is, Michael, is that we need to be able to name it. You know, psychologists talk about name to tame, all right? But if, you can just, if we can name the fact this is, this is fear, this is anxiety, that's, that's a huge step. But a part of that is the fact that you've, you've, we, you and I have talked about losses before. You know, and, and there, are no, there are no markers, no memorial stone you, so many times. Of course, there's specific losses of jobs or business. But then there's that, that piled up accumulative loss we've talked about before. And, but there, <laughs> there, there's nothing to mark those. So you got fear and you got depression, anxiety. Men have a tendency to act out their depression in anger. Women have a tendency to act out that depression in wanting to wanting to cluster, wanting to nest. But what are you, what are they going to do? I mean, we're not allowed to go out and connect. Even guys that live alone or women who live alone that can't go back to their jobs where they had that interconnection, and we're made for interconnection. So. Michael. 
Michael, yeah. can can we park on that for a moment? Because you, you hit something that I'm seeing a lot, and that is the the after effects or or, or, or the manifestations of isolation. I I am hearing that from so many people, especially those that are single, uh, right. without family. There, isolation right now, is, and it doesn't matter the age. From what I see, isolation is 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 starting to be a, a devastating thing for a lot of people. Right, in their book Attachment Theory, Townsend and Cloud says that relations are as important as breathing. God created us for relationships, attachments. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> as strange as it sounds, unhealthy attachments or healthy attachments, we need to attach, to relate. And identifying the fact that that's not happening, and again, here comes loss, losses, loss of those attachments, loss of those connections. And, and even... Even when we may be, be doing like what you and I are doing with Zoom or with, with, with uh, uh, FaceTime, whatever it may be, there's still that lack of physical connectivity on the phone. And that's great to talk to people, but, but there, we need that touch. Even people that are not touchable kind of folks. They need to be in a physical presence of another person. And so <clears throat> I think naming, naming the fear, naming the depression, identifying the fact that we're having attachment issues is crucial to be able to make it through this. Mike, I believe that 90% of Americans are very resilient. I mean, we have collected the highest number of folks that, that have that have that are driven for goals and driven to achieve okay and when that's not there when that's gone it it causes a huge cultural uh tectonic shift in in us and so we've got the cultural effect in us we've got the tv it's blurring in our face and it's just it just it's just cumulative in nature, but being able to sometimes take a deep breath, back up, and be able to say, "Oh, that's what that thing is." M. Scott Peck, in his book *The People of the Lie*, says that ninety percent of the of the victory is naming the demon, as it were. Mm. Michael, I think inherent in that a word a word pops up as you're talking to me, and that is purpose. Uh, I think. Purpose is important to all of us. Uh, we, you know, we, we like to have a reason for being and something to aim at. And as you were talking, it, it brought to my mind a lot of people right now are feeling that they have no purpose. Their, their jobs are, are shuttered or gone or at least they're furloughed. And I, I think there's a, a struggle right now with just having purpose in life. Well, uh, you and I know, uh, I, I happen to have the privilege of Rick Warren, who wrote the book, The Purpose Driven Church. And it, it was worldwide because uh, Christian or not Christian, faith-based or not faith-based, I mean, he hit on a card there that we, yeah, we are purpose-driven people, especially the American culture. We're goal-oriented. So uh, when we don't have that purpose, 
that, that goes back to being out in the sea without the moon and stars, without anchor or rudder or without oar. And we're just driven all over the place. And, and so, the, the, so how do you address purposelessness? And again, let's go back. Name it and ta- name to tame. Be able to, 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 to name that, the, the anger, the depression, the anxiety. Michael, at least 40 to 50% of the people who have depression uh, lost, lost depression, what is called adjustment depression. You're adjusting to loss. Uh, is anxiety attached to it, and we don't realize that. So be able to look at that and, and not get overwhelmed by it is, you know, it's a backup. I like to tell people to take, think about your thinking like you're on the hub of a wheel. You're the hub, and you're looking out at the rim of the wheel. And you're, and you're saying, isn't that interesting that huh, there's, there's that anger, identifying it when it happens. Or, oh, okay, that's, that's, I'm, I'm really a fearful of not knowing what's going on. To be able to identify, you know, that's what that is. That's a lack of purpose. That's being able to stand back and do observation without trying to fix it, as weird as that sounds, is really crucial. Michael, let's, let's talk about that issue of, of naming it, of identifying it, putting a name on it. What, what, what healthy results happen when we do that? What, what does that trigger that, that benefits us just by naming it, whatever it may be? Right. Good question, Michael. The, the, once we're able to name it, and then, as weird as it sounds, because the brain likes to tag things, give a name to it, <clears throat> then you can begin the process, howbeit maybe slowly, but you can begin the process of being able to, to, to move to a, a better place of adjusting to the reality of what's taking place rather than the illusion of we have control or whatever it may be. And so, <clears throat> yeah, again, I, I, that whole resiliency issue, I think, is, is, being, is being in bondage to the fact that we don't tag it, being able to tag it, and do it on a consistent basis without judging, thinking we're weak or bad, putting ourselves down, Braiding ourselves is really crucial. Uh, in, in, in the book, The Shack, Papa, who's a large black lady, God, who's God, is talking to Mackenzie. <clears throat> and she says, Mackenzie, we look through the knothole of a fence, and there is a parade of life going by. And we discern, determine what's good or bad. As we look at through that knot hole, we determine if it's right or wrong. <clears throat> and what God wants to do is to get above the fence and have a broader view. And so being able to name it or tame it, whatever you want to call it, tag it, helps us with that broader view. As strange as it sounds, then the brain can recalculate to reality and Sometimes when you name it, when you tag it, 
then all at once you say, you, you feel that discomfort of being out of control. And being able to identify that again without trying to fix it, just, just that's where I am right now. I don't feel control. I don't feel purpose. Taking, <clears throat> Michael, writing that out, journaling, repetitive journaling is extremely important. For example, if there's anger or angst, if there's whatever, uh, just repeating, repetitive journaling. You're not feeling sorry for yourself. You're getting unstuck by repetitive journaling, just talking it, writing it out. Uh, being able to, to, to talk to a friend that's not going to try to fix you, you know, just. Yes. Listen. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> right. You know, Michael, I lead a couple of groups of men that, that are very, very open. I mean, honest. They talk about anger and talk about fear. They talk about what's going on. Uh, you know, we have the social distancing, you know, and we will meet someplace, but they're free to absolutely puke, if you'll pardon me the word, but they don't stay in the puke. Once they puke, they can move on. So writing it out, if you don't have a group like that or someone to talk, writing it out repetitively does help. It will recalculate, re reset the brain to move to other places. And Michael, what you're talking about is developing relationships with people where you can be safe. Yes. And that's important, right? Creating that safety. Oh, Michael, it's unbelievable. Just, I, I cannot... One of the things that, that I had the privilege of is being a part of a small community in which I was allowed, and I was a leader. I was a facilitator, whatever. But I, they, I, I could just let them know how angry I was or how upset or why I didn't want, I didn't want to be there. And that was okay. They'd just shake their head, smile, and let me work through it. They weren't there to fix me. They were there to walk through it with me. And, and can I interject? That's probably done best in front of people and not on social media. Yes, right. Yep. Let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, the media, social media. How are all those perspectives that are assaulting people every day, how, how's that playing into the angst and, and uh, the grieving process that we've talked about? Seems like it's really unhealthy in, in many, many ways. Well, Michael, you know what as I do, that the, no matter the fourth estate, any form of the media, <coughs> pardon me, has to... Has to um, rely on stats about who's listening, who's not listening. They're, you know, they do market analysis and all those kind of things, be it print, TV, whatever it is. And, Michael, that's going to affect how they're going to, going to present that message. You turn on the morning news, the very first thing you hear are these people who strike at fast voices talk about how bad things are at the very beginning. You know, that's, that's a hook to get people to stay tuned in. And we buy into those things. And being able to, to again, get kind of distance is not, 
it's not that you have to turn off the news, but to identify the fact that I'm not sure I should use this word, but they pander to, to certain type of uh, market, market analysis and being able to identify that. And, you know, because you've got, I mean, from one end to the other end, from, from the conservative to the liberal, uh, all tuning in about how bad it is. And let's face it, Michael, that affects us profoundly. Our worldview, doesn't that play into that? I mean, if, if, if our worldview, the, the filters, so to speak, that we use to interpret what's going on around us, our worldview has a lot to do with how we process the news and social media, doesn't it? And, and I, I think if we don't know what our worldview is, if, if we haven't really developed that, uh, we, we can, and this is my theological term, we can really go splat. <laughs> exactly. Michael, I can I, I compare it to someone gives you a, a thousand-piece puzzle, but what they've done, they've put the wrong box top on top of the puzzle. And so you get the box top, you set it up, and you start trying to put the puzzle together. And it doesn't match. So what do you do? You get frustrated. You may go shoot the guy that gave you the box top. I'm not sure what you do. But there's that, that really feeling of, of what's going on here. And being able to identify. All of us, Michael, have a worldview. And being able to identify what that is by this very present of what's going on with the pandemic is what we've been talking about, basically, is to understand, to get to stand back and say, wait a minute, you know, is this, okay, I'm fearful, uh, but how I'm reacting to this fear, is it, what does that say, what's that say to me about what's going on inside me? And give us a time to reflect, to, 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 to kind of honestly, again, and I keep saying this, Michael, without trying to fix it, beat ourselves up, you know, or whatever, but to say, wait a minute, that, that, that's not working for me. Uh, Thomas Harris, years ago, wrote the book, I'm Okay, You're Okay. Right. <laughs> and he said, he said, what happens with that kind of thing, of, of that kind of ineffectiveness? When it's not working, it's like a merry-go-round. It goes round and round and round, and pretty soon we get the idea, hey, this ain't working. We will finally get off the merry-go-round and turn back and look at it and say, that, that's not the kind of merry-go-round I want to be on. So, yeah, so this is an opportunity for reflection. The sadness, Michael, as a matter of fact, sadness helps us recalculate. It will give a chance to to refocus on what really is important. Uh, you know enough about this in your, in your work about people who suffer loss of a loved one, how they eventually come to a much more reality check about, uh, you know, as people, uh, people are passing away. I, I wrote a magazine article years ago on, on terminal warriors, and, it, and these are the people that simply refuse to give in. They just, they just 
that you keep on hanging in there. But what they do in that process is they have a much more honest view of what life is all about. And what the terminal warrior does, they share that with us. Does that make sense to you? Yes, yes. Yeah. So the whole process of dying can be an illusion, an illustration of what we're having to die to, as it were, to inappropriate worldviews, to get a much more recalculated reality of really what's important in life. So we're talking about uh, a lot of mid-course corrections, right? Uh, Remember when when the the first uh, computer navigational things came out? And uh, the the lady in the computer would would say recalculating, you know, or, <laughs> or make a U turn. You know, you want to you want to chuck something at the computer, lady, but you can't. She's not there to chuck at. But it, you know, but that's really exactly. what what we're yeah. experiencing, right? We're yeah. reca- we're allowing to be recalculated. And again, I think that it, doesn't that how we do that comes back to what kind of worldview we have, doesn't it? Right. Yes. And Michael, that's a good point. How we react to that, that voice is, is crucial to identify that we're in denial of what the thing is saying. And what's that, what that say about us? And to back up without overanalyzing or what I call navel gazing, <laughs> to back up and say, wait a minute, why, why, What's keeping me from recalculating, you know, the U-turn? I'm going to keep on driving down the wrong road? What does that say about me? Okay, and, and again, this, this interplay with other folks that, that can, you can talk with and, you know, like mirrors, okay, that can hopefully ref- help us reflect, you know, the, uh, about the fact that we're not – going to recalculate we're still going to keep on driving down the long road unless you have a gps like mine that really gets me all messed up <laughs> <laughs> let uh, i, I want to pursue this recalculating reality and in, in, in another angle michael and I, I don't mean to be political here but i think we have to deal with reality if we're looking to places we trust. Let's take COVID-19. We're looking to informational sources we trust. Let's say it's the government. And we're looking to government uh, to know accurate numbers, to know what this thing really is so that we can really name it. And then we begin to discover that even government doesn't always have the same perspective, not even the same science. Uh, Whose science are we talking about? So it, it appears that sometimes as, if we're looking to government for that, there are varying viewpoints and we're essentially, my interpretation is grabbing jello. And do you see that playing into a lot of this angst that some of the traditional things that we thought we could anchor on uh, are not there or the, they're not sure? I think, Michael, you've, I think you've hit it right square on the, on the head, nail on the head is that they're not sure. You know, this is, a, this is an ongoing developing issue about how to handle this. And, of course, there's, there's going to be political aspects to it. But to take a, 
look back over the overall pattern of consistent truth, of consistent rightness, I think is important. And I think that's, that's to me, is, is a huge, huge thing to think about, is, is what has been consistently proven being brought to light that's right on. Okay, mm. you know when we first began, you know they talked about the the uh, some of the symptoms of of the virus, and now they keep adding symptoms to that, right? So uh, and then they keep adjusting back and forth. So the pattern you have to look back at the overall pattern. Uh, you know, you were in law enforcement for years, and as you know, I was a chaplain to the. Uh, police services of my city right and the the word is don't look at the first memo don't read it because there's gonna be a second memo don't read that one it's the third memo that's going to be what you're going to listen to right right it and and i think something else plays in there uh michael not only in in uh paramilitary structures, military structures, and other kind of structures, the, and even uh, board structures for organizations. There are, there are hoop designers uh, often in there. And what, yeah. and what I perceive is those hoop designers love making hoops. They'll make one and say, so you need to jump through that, and, we're the, and, and you'll jump through it. And then they say, oh, that, it, it, we're not quite there. Here's another one. <laughs> yeah, and right. there never is a final hoop. Yep, yep, yeah. So that's why I say you have to look at the, the durative, ongoing pattern that's been brought to light. And, and, and we are so quick to jump to, to conclusions, Michael, because we're under this pressure, you know, that – of taking a deep breath and saying, wait a minute, I have, I have to take time to see the pattern, the current that, that, that flows through this, this whole issue of what is truth, as it were. Michael, we have a, a couple of minutes left. We've been uh, focusing a lot on the individual and our responses, how we can respond to things in, in a healthy way. In, in, in a personal perspective, can we, can we switch views here uh, for the last few minutes and think of ourselves as agents of healing and what we can do to help others uh, ar- arrive at uh, a, a place of health, uh, to be able to uh, look at uh, those uh, events the, that, that have happened, to look at the patterns what can we do, you know, a couple of, of bullet points, what can we do to help others around us if they're really suffering through this, not trying to fix them, but somehow help them through the, their own processes? Michael, good, good question. I, as I explained to you, I work with a couple group of men in which I just facilitate an environmental, environment of, safety, of being safe. Just allow them to to work through issues. And Michael, um, I was a part of the community for years. You know about the community I was a part of for years, and it was a true ish- essence of community. And um, someone observed when we were 
talking about our journey, they said, you know, y'all must be very, very wise. I was humili- uh, humbled by that and overwhelmed by that statement. But there is a, a wisdom in some type of community involvement. Uh, that's hard for us to create in this environment with social distance, but we can do that. Another thing is, again, like you said, without, without trying to fix, but allowing them to talk with us or paying the rent, as it were, to let them work through their issues and then be incentive to when they're ready for us to maybe to give some encouragement, some enablement. Uh, you know, Michael, love is a commitment to enable another person to grow spiritually. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, it's a very simple, that's a very simple definition. They may not choose to do that. But in loving a person, to give, make them a commitment to enable them for them to really grow. Uh, you're, you're married to Lori. Your commitment to her is to enable her to be the best Lori she chooses to be for me and my wife, Sue. So enabling the other person to be the best they can be under this, this pandemic, I think, is crucial. And what, what I'm hearing in that, Michael, is in terms of committing to not trying to fix the other person, we need to do a lot of listening versus right. more responding, right? Right. John Drakeford, years ago, wrote a book, The Power of the Listening Ear, and he talks about that, just being able to not just, not just listen academically, but, but put ourselves into the pain of the other person. My theological perspective is that's what God does with us. He puts himself in our pain, and he's there for us. And I think we need to exhibit uh, that kind of love for another person. You know, it's better said done than better said said, as it were. Dr. Michael Wright, thank you so much for taking time to be with us. Uh, a lot to consider, a lot to uh, to go over. If, if you could just sum up maybe in a, a minute or so your your encouragement for people right now who maybe are they're grieving like they would grieve the loss of a, a loved one or a friend. They're grieving the loss of things that they used to be able to count on. Uh, what encouragement would you give them right now to keep on keeping on to do that introspection to do that identifying and uh and to help themselves uh through the process well mike i'm gonna say it the best way i know how to say it this ain't all there is there is there is still much more and if we can take the next step go ahead and take the next step it may be a misstep it may be a backward step, but take the next step and keep on stepping, okay? And get around those environments that help you to take that next step because we're going to get through this. Americans are, are they are resilient people. We are a resilient culture. We're people who are entrepreneurial. I mean, look at all the good things that have come out of this, Michael. Just people caring for each other. My goodness gracious. So, you know... Look for those good places to encourage you to take that next step. There, there are inspirational stories all over the place. You can find those on the Internet. Just put in inspirational stories and, you know, listen to those. But find a way to take the next step. 
Great wisdom, Dr. Michael Wright. Thanks for taking time to be with us, and uh, we'll look forward to visiting with you again. Thanks so much. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate the opportunity. The past few minutes with Dr. Michael Wright have really been illuminating to me, if not flat-out inspiring. As I've prayed over how to keep my own self in check, over frustrations, over our responses to COVID-19, God has used wise yet humble people like Dr. Michael Wright to remind me to not only remember tried and true ways of confronting that which we don't think we can control, but also to present new, proven methods of overcoming obstacles like that uninvited guest in our lives named COVID-19. While Dr. Michael Wright presented great nuggets of useful wisdom for ourselves and how we deal with others about the ramifications of coronavirus, he just mentioned at the end of our conversation one of the most critical and salient truths I think we need to keep in mind. Whatever the next step is towards resiliency and overcoming the COVID-19 foe, let's commit to getting unstuck and taking that next step. Now, maybe that next step is naming the fear, the angst, or the frustration. Maybe it's writing it all down, journaling. And perhaps it's finding ways to restore personal relationships, which are just as important as breathing itself. Whatever that next step is, let's take it. Plenty of good steps were discussed tonight. Whatever you feel is the best for you, let's not settle for being adrift at sea with no lights or markers to guide us. Let's take that next step and start taking control of our responses and well-being so that the media, social media, and COVID-19 itself no longer define us. Would you like to continue the discussion about the wonderful points that Dr. Michael Wright discussed with us tonight? Please feel free to email me at pastormike209 at gmail.com. Again, if you'd like to continue this discussion, please email me, pastormike209 at gmail.com. For Advancing Vibrant Communities and the Into the Night with Pastor Mike Podcasting Network, I'm Mike Douglas.